0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. At the Hope Congregation, we are working our way through a series in Paul's letter to the Philippians. We're in chapter 3, in chapter Three, he begins to remind them of the fact that he never gets tired of speaking the same thing to them. He never gets tired of reminding them again and again of the gospel. It's not tedious for me. For you, it is safe. And in the context of what Paul lays out about The confidence we have in the gospel and the righteousness that is ours, not by anything that we've done, but by what Christ has done, a righteousness that is from God through faith in Jesus. He goes on to the place where we're going to pick up this afternoon to speak of his earnest desire to honor God, to press on, to lay hold of Christ, to strive for the glory of God, for the upward call of God in Christ. Philippians chapter 3, we'll begin at verse 1. This is the word of God. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gain to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. But I press on. These are the words of our text, the verses 12 through 14. Let me just highlight that. Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That ends our text, verses 12 through 14. I'm going to read just a little further for context. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So far from the holy word of God. As I mentioned, our focus this afternoon will be the verses 12 through 14. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we see these words of the Apostle Paul here in the verses 12 through 14, a picture unfolds in our minds of a man who is straining and striving with great intensity. You can almost see the sweat beating up on his forehead. You have the picture, as Paul paints that for us, of an athlete In the midst of a competition, running with all of his might in the contest that he finds himself in. And the Apostle Paul is laying that out for us as his example for us, the pattern that he is laying out for us as one that we should follow. The verses 15 through 17 make that plain. We're going to focus on what the Apostle Paul describes here in terms of his intense commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to strain every nerve in the service of his God. We're going to understand, however, we need to be careful. We need to be careful to appreciate the context The Apostle Paul is speaking here of laying hold of the Lord Jesus Christ who has already laid hold of him. And so we understand that he's not speaking in this particular instance of laying hold of Jesus for the very first time. He's not speaking of the experience of someone who is not yet a Christian taking hold of the Lord Jesus Christ who takes hold of him. He is describing here the responsibility and the intensity that a Christian himself um, exerts, that Paul himself will exert. And that confidence that he speaks about comes on the top of, based on the foundation of what has gone before in chapter 3. The things that he talked about never getting tired of reminding them of. The reason we can rejoice in the Lord is because of the blessing that our confidence, our certainty, our standing with God in the Lord Jesus Christ is not something that we have to laboriously strive after as if we attain it by the works of our hands or our own works of righteousness by our law-keeping. The Apostle Paul has described his own foolishness. He humbly admits his own arrogance in previous days when he was self-confident, when he was confident in the flesh. And he could go on and boast about the things that that he would uh, line up to his account as being things to boast about. He was so much holier than the rest. But he went on to say, I learned to count it all as loss. I learned to see it all as a pile of rubbish, a pile of manure. I count all those things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He had come to gain Christ. He has come to know himself in Christ He has come to know himself as one who is righteous, not by his works, but by the grace of God, a righteousness that comes from God, not by law, but by grace through faith. Now, we know all of those things. We believe these things. If we're Christians, this is where we take our stand. This is who we are. But we always know, you're always reminded, aren't we, of the the reality or the accusation at least. If, If we're justified by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, then we might as well sin that grace may abound. We might as well live as we please. We might as well do whatever we will. There's nothing involved in the Christian life. And Paul says, no, it's not like that at all. And so you see, when we get to verse 12, he is interjecting here. He's spoken of his confidence. He's gained Christ. He knows Christ in the power of his resurrection. He is committed to uh, the fellowship of suffering with Christ. He is committed as well to being conformed to Christ's death. He has attained to the blessing, the blessed confidence of the resurrection from the dead. Just a few weeks ago, we celebrated together, Christ is risen, and because Christ is risen, we will live too. One day, our bodies will be made like Christ's glorious body. He says that at the end of this chapter. And again, he says, lest any of you are nodding off to sleep because this is all just so so neat and so easy, the Apostle Paul says, well, that's not how it goes It is all grace, of course, but because of God's wondrous grace, what he says in verse 12, not that I've already attained. Let me just say this. Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on. But I press on. He wants us to take up following after Christ with the same sort of intensity to be able to say, I press on. He wants us to lay hold of Christ, not as it were for the first time. However, if you've never laid hold of the Lord Jesus Christ, you must do that too. But the word here is what we get to do as we go on living with Christ who has laid hold of us. I preach The gospel this afternoon, laying hold of Christ, running hard for the prize, running hard after Christ is what the Apostle Paul would have us understand here. Laying hold of Christ. Three things we're going to consider together are these. First of all, our confession about our need for Christ. Secondly, our commitment to press toward Christ. And thirdly, our confidence in the upward call in Christ. We begin with confession. And the apostle Paul is doing that very thing. Over against any potential misunderstanding that could go in in one of two directions. One would be sort of a, a pharisaical self-confidence that he had eschewed in his own life. A, a sort of perfectionism that thinks we have arrived. And he says, I'm not perfect. I have not yet attained in that sense. And the other extreme would be sort of a libertarianism, a lawlessness that says, I can do whatever I please. And later on, he's going to pick that up and speak of those who are enemies of the cross, whose God is their belly. And over against those two temptations, he is saying we need to make humble confession of our deep and ongoing need for the Lord Jesus Christ. It has never been about my righteousness, never been about my accomplishment. It's always been about God's wondrous grace in Christ. And even as a Christian, as Paul would speak about those things in Romans chapter 7, there is an ongoing struggle. Anyone of us who is a Christian knows about that. We're not perfect We mess up. We do dumb things. We sin. I've not yet attained. I'm not already perfected. But I press on. And what the Apostle Paul wants to do here, he says that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Now the language here, In verse 12, though our translation doesn't um, bring that out per se, when he speaks of not having already attained, it's the same word as is used for uh, my laying hold and for Jesus laying hold of me. Three times the same word is used. And what he's talking about here is not, not merely the blessing that I may take hold of the Lord Jesus um, in terms of uh, a, a physical reality or the fact that, that he belongs to me, but it also speaks of an intellectual pursuit to, to grasp, to seize. How, how deep, how wide, how high is the love of God in Christ Jesus? Paul is acknowledging, I haven't, I haven't arrived there yet. And I don't expect I ever will in this life. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, it's never entered into the heart of man to imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. I haven't got my head around that Paul is not saying he's not a Christian, because his confession here is that the Lord Jesus Christ has indeed laid hold of me. And boys and girls, I think if you hear the Apostle Paul speaking of Jesus Christ having laid hold of him, or the Lord Jesus Christ, you could say, having apprehended him or arrested him in his tracks along the way. You probably immediately think of the conversion of the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. He was going on his merry way. He was persecuting the church, as he says he used to boast about. And he was stopped in his tracks. He was apprehended by the Lord Jesus Christ with a blinding light from heaven. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's not just the church you're persecuting. Jesus says you're persecuting me. And Paul was, or Saul as it were at the time, was convicted. Who are you, Lord? And what do you want me to do? He was stopped in his tracks. And we understand from his other testimony in scripture that he was arrested along the way by a conviction that comes through the law of God. Romans chapter 7 explains that. I would not have known covetousness had the law not come to me. Sin finally has become exceedingly sinful to me by the work of God's grace through the law. The spiritual work of God through the law. The apostle Paul was also apprehended, laid hold of by the Lord Jesus Christ, not merely by his law, thank God, but also by the power of his gospel. And he would be the one who would tell us in Romans 1 verse 16, I'm not ashamed shamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. He was stopped in his tracks by the glory of the gospel of salvation in Jesus. Now, I'm quite sure none of us here have been apprehended in the very same way as the Apostle Paul was with a blinding light from heaven. But I trust that by God's grace we are able to say, Yet the Lord has laid hold of me. I know what it is to be convicted, to have been arrested, apprehended by the law of God I know what it is to have been taken hold of by the power of the gospel I know what it is that I may say now that Jesus Christ is mine and I am his I am his because he has laid hold of me I trust if you are struggling with that question has Jesus Christ laid hold of me You can be encouraged to know that he does so by the power, the beauty, the blessing, the tenderness of the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ has laid hold. And we know in terms of the way he does his work, you think of John chapter 10 verse 27 where Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and no one will snatch them from my hand or from my Father's hand because I and my Father are one. He has laid hold of me and he will not let go. He will not let go. That's why the Apostle Paul says, and I want to lay hold of everything Jesus Christ has for me. The one who has laid hold of me that brings us in the second place to our commitment to press toward Christ and Paul speaks with very active urgent language here when he speaks of verse 12 but I press on that I may lay hold verse 13 I do not count myself to have apprehended but one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal. Let me just uh, also alert you to the reality that the language in verse 12 and in verse 14, I press, is again the very same language that he had used in 3 verse 6. When he said there concerning zeal, persecuting the church. That's the same word. He's prosecuting a cause. He's pressing with what you would say unholy zeal over against the the well-being of the church. That's what he used to do. That word for press can be translated persecute. But now his whole world is turned upside down. You could say right side up. And his urgency is now one holy passion to honor God. So he has not he's no longer persecuting the church, but he's pressing toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ. Now I don't know about you, but I have to confess when I read of the Apostle Paul's urgency here, I am humbled and convicted. In terms of the way in which I can dilly dally in the Christian life, and the way in which I can so easily get distracted, and the way in which I find myself sort of coasting along at various times. And I don't lay this before you as though you should use my example as an excuse. I lay it before you as a humble acknowledgement with the Apostle Paul, I haven't attained. I'm not perfect, but I press on. I must press on, and by the grace of God, I can press on. And it's interesting what Paul says when he speaks of his pressing on. The way he explains it in verse, or the way he describes it in verse 13, he says, One thing I do. One thing I do. And then interestingly, he goes on to speak about three things. But it's all one thing, you could say. One thing I do. And as we think about that, I ask us to have as as something set before us in our lives, as, as part of the goal toward which we are striving, whether we also would long to see ourselves as people of the one thing, whose holy, earnest desire in the midst of every circumstance can be described in one way, that I'm pressing toward the goal. I'm living for the glory of God. I'm running toward the place in terms of the upward call of God in Christ. That is the one thing It should describe what happens in my life when I get up in the morning and when I go to work and when I go to school. May that be the case. Now we know, as it was for the Apostle Paul, sometimes we get overwhelmed with the fact that it seems like we've got a thousand things to do. But nevertheless, may it be that we are known as those who are committed to the one thing. Now let's just unpack briefly the three components of the one thing as Paul describes them. And the first thing he says there is it's about forgetting those things which lie behind. Forgetting those things which lie behind. Have you ever seen a a runner in the midst of a race, I don't know, boys and girls with... uh, If track and field day is is coming up again, uh, maybe you see it in kindergarten or something like that. They're supposed to be uh, running the race, but they're sitting um, on their knees and they're picking dandelions. They're distracted and they're not engaged in the midst of the race. Perhaps uh, some of you have heard of the Miracle Mile a race that was uh, run in 1954 in Vancouver. The Miracle Mile is called the Miracle Mile because it was the first time in recorded history when two of the runners of the race beat the four-minute mark for the mile, running the mile. Now, I think this is illustrative of what the Apostle Paul is warning us against in terms of forgetting what lies behind. John Landy was the front runner for the whole of the race, as I understand it. And, and he could see the ticker tape just, just yards ahead of him, or, or less. And he was running with all of his might, straining every nerve, striving, reaching in the way that the Apostle Paul describes the Christian life here. And he's almost there. And for the photo finish, you see that John Landy looks over his shoulder to see how he's doing and Roger Bannister zooms by on the other side and wins the race. It's an illustration, isn't it, of what can happen when we are focused on what lies behind and forget what is right before us, the goal of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Now we can do that in so many ways. Sometimes as those who seek to maintain faithfulness to the word of God. Living in the context of a culture that thinks we're crazy. A temptation may be that, that we live in the past in terms of the glory days. You think of uh, the people in um, Nehemiah or Ezra's day who sort of wept with a kind of joy but with weeping at the fact that the temple was nothing like the former temple. And there is a challenge for us not to get overwhelmed with what lies behind, but to realize the blessing and the privilege and the glory of striving for the glory of God today right where we are. Maybe the aspect of forgetting what lies behind needs to address us in ways that the Apostle Paul described in his own life, his own sort of confidence in the flesh. Maybe if we are proud or arrogant like the Apostle Paul was, taking refuge in our own accomplishments, we need to be reminded you should forget what lies behind. Your accomplishments, like those of Paul, were like a pile of rubbish. Forget those things and press on or maybe i address someone here this afternoon who has been hurt seriously or someone who is disappointed disappointed in terms of developments in life or disappointed in terms of the way people may view you or understand you and i'm not suggesting that we should take any of these things lightly but i am encouraging us to realize that even over against any sort of hurt we've experienced in our lives there is a balm in Gilead there is mercy in God our savior I'm not suggesting either that circumstances may not need to be dealt with and and uh, realities confronted but, but I am encouraging us not to live in the past and not to be overwhelmed with the way he hurt me or the things she said to me or the way in which they never noticed me. Because then you'll get stuck and you'll be like a little child picking dandelions in the field instead of running the race. And you get to press forward. Another thing, of course, as we think of forgetting what lies behind is the way in which we can still get overwhelmed with the reality of our guilt and our sin and our failings. Maybe there are memories that we have in terms of really foolish things that we've done and we can't get over it. We need to be encouraged again. There is forgiveness with God. We need to be reminded He has taken our sins And taken them from us as far as the east is from the west. Forget what lies behind, Paul says. That's the first thing. And reach. Reach, he says, forward to those things which are ahead. The reaching here again is the picture of an athlete who is straining every nerve and running for the goal that should describe the way that we live. And again, pressing the third thing toward the goal. Press. Press. Work hard. And in all of these things, what are you doing? In all of this straining and striving, By the grace of God, you are seeking the more to lay hold of all that is yours in Christ Jesus. Part of that is what we're doing here this afternoon. We're gathered together to exalt his name in the delight and privilege of worship. We're straining and we're striving to know him better, to understand his word more clearly. There are all sorts of ways in which we can and need to be reaching. Let me say finally in the third place this afternoon we may have a confidence in all of this. This is a reality that is ours by the grace of God our confidence in the upward call in Christ. You understand, this stands on the foundation of what we have in Christ. What is ours in the blessing that we are in him, that we have gained him, that we know him in the power of his resurrection. The upshot of of Paul's example here is not that we should go from here... um, running about frantically as chickens with our heads cut off, not knowing what to do next or how we're going to accomplish it. The confidence that is ours is that God has a call on your life. I press toward the the goal, verse 14, for the prize Of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know what the prize is? Let me say it this way. Do you know who the prize is? It's Jesus himself. We're running for Jesus, we're running toward Jesus, looking forward to the day when we will see him face to face. That's the prize. But we know we're going to arrive. We know because it is the upward call of God in Christ. We speak of the effectual call of God, or we speak of his irresistible grace. My sheep hear my voice, they follow me. We've heard the call of God initially in our coming to faith in the words of the Lord Jesus. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We acknowledge with Peter in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, once we had not known God's mercy. Once we were not his people, but now we've tasted of his mercy. We are his people. Why? Because he has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are the called out ones. And those whom God has foreknown, he's also predestined. Those whom he's predestined, he's also called. Those whom he's called, he's also justified. Those whom he's justified, he's also glorified. That is the upward call of God in and through the gospel in Christ So we also say that the call that we experience was not merely a one-time thing in terms of our first coming to Christ. It's that God has his call on our life in terms of everything we do. In terms of the way we do our work, in terms of the way we treat our friends, and the way we live in our families. We are called of God. God's call is on us and there is an onward and upward pull to the call of God. And so we, we strive and we stretch and we strain and we run. We know that God is moving us forward. And by the grace of God, we recognize as well that the call that he has in our lives, as 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2 says, is we are the sanctified ones. We are called to be holy as he is holy. And by the upward call of God I trust that we can look at our lives as Christians and say by the grace of God I'm headed northwest. I'm headed onward and upward. And I know where I'm going. And because it's the call of God in Christ we also know that one day we will arrive in glory. And then we will lay our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, our gracious Savior. And we will lay hold of an understanding that we had not begun to imagine. We may be confident of this reality because it is the upward call of God in Christ. And because Jesus Christ has laid hold of us and will not let us go, let us indeed, as we go forward, run and reach and lay hold more and more of all that is ours in Christ Jesus. Let us be people of the one thing. Amen. Let's pray. good and gracious God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you for the upward call, the high calling that is ours in Christ, but a powerful calling. Lord, you have called from out of darkness. You have called us from out of darkness and brought us into your marvelous light. And we pray that you would help us to go forth living our lives in the confidence that Jesus Christ has indeed laid hold of us and he will not let us go. Grant, O Lord, that we would be people of the one thing, that it would be our desire above all and through all and in all to strive for your glory, to know you better, to grasp, to seize, to lay hold of with our minds a growing appreciation for the riches of your grace, but also in terms of our own blessed day-to-day experience to lay hold of how rich we are in Jesus. And Father, we pray that all of us who are hearing this afternoon may be those who by grace through faith say we want to lay hold of everything that Jesus has laid hold of me for. May we know ourselves to have been laid hold of by Jesus as we come to you by grace through faith. And may your name be glorified as we go forth from here striving to serve you. We pray it in